Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Pierce Morgan, my first guest. Missed my whole open. I can't believe it. But I am his first. I think I'm your first broadcast appointment today, correct? Correct. So I'm honored. You are the right? chosen one. But you'll be on all day. Yes. Because right. <laughs> we're going to work you to death. That's one thing about Fox. Of course. Yeah. Remember, you enter this building, you never leave. Right. But you don't want to. You know? No, of right. course not. Larry Kudlow is at the bottom of the hour, and he, of course, is making a business uh, business news again. He's the number one guy in business, and he uh, came over from CNBC here. You never thought Larry would be successful here. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to start controversy, Pierce, like you. You know what? My view of all these uh, career trajectories is the same as Winston Churchill. Which is? Which is the definition of success is going from failure to failure with no discernible loss of enthusiasm. Right. And you, Brian, of all people, should know about that. That really hurts my feelings <laughs> because I may be slow, but when it comes to insults, I'm very quick, right? It takes me a while, but not that, not in that way. So, Pierce, it's, it's been great to get to know you and get here uh, and have you on. And the one thing I've learned from interviewing you as opposed to just watching you is that every segment matters. Yeah. Like, you're into every segment. Uh, so, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to join Fox & Friends for a while. I feel as like we, every sentence you thought about, you know, as impact, and that pretty much comes across in your shows. When would when was that a reality with you? I, I think, look, I think to be a good journalist or broadcaster of any kind, you've got to have two things. You've got to have lots of energy and lots of curiosity. Mm-hmm. So I'm genuinely curious about issues, about topics, about guests. I want to find things out. I want to learn. Every day I think if you're learning, right. you're having a good day. Because you don't think you know everything. No, well, well. Let's not be too too hasty. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, part of me does, but then I'm also very pleasantly surprised when I do learn things. Right. And that's why I think you should always try and speak to people at least as smart as you are or smarter, present company accepted, obviously. Yeah. Because I think you can always learn from people and you can always change your mind and we shouldn't be afraid to change our minds. What I liked about doing Fox and Friends yesterday was there we all sat and we were having a genuine disagreement about Ukraine, for example, and the best way to deal with it. That's healthy in a democracy. The idea that you can't disagree about big issues because you're so tribal in your thinking that there's only one way you're allowed to right. think. Whether you're on the left or right, that is a danger zone for me. I don't want to be in either of those radically you know, tribal camps. I want to be in a camp where if somebody persuades me I'm wrong with genuinely good argument, I'm prepared to change my mind. But a lot of it, uh, a lot of the times, you make your opinion because you actually talk to the sources. Right. So you wouldn't talk to Zelensky. So you're like, it, it's different. And I'm not saying you would have a different opinion. But when you go over there and see the players and see the different. sincerity, it's very different. And what you realized is Zelensky could have left on the first day when the Russians attacked. Like Kahani, he was offered the chance to disappear, and instead he stayed with his people. He went on a video which he posted on social media live, addressing his people, and he said, "I'm going nowhere until this is won." And I thought that was extraordinarily heroic. This guy used to be in television. You know, he was literally a TV star and TV producer. Suddenly he's a president and it's all going fine. And then within a year and a half, he's at war. And he had to make a calculation. Do I put myself and my family first or do I put the country first? People that put their country before their own safety, to me, are always heroic. 
Right. And usually victorious when it's your place. Yes. So, and you're seeing right now, no one even, well, Vladimir Putin told, didn't tell his soldiers what they're about. They have no experience fighting, it turns out. They might be a superpower in nuclear, in nuclear uh, weapons only. And I'll tell you, just my opinion, when you see how they were using 1980s version military equipment, when you see the tanks that they were operating, to see how things weren't kept up to snuff, how they, no one was trained, how generals were forced to leave, what condition do you think their nuclear weapons are in? Well, I think also there's a wider point. The, the nuclear weapon issue, they're supposed to be a deterrent for the countries that have them, a deterrent to other powers to attack them with nuclear weapons because you also have them and therefore it would be wipeout. What Putin has been seizing on is a fragility of mindset, I think, on the West, that all he has to do is rattle his nuclear weapons at us, and we run a mile. We don't have the stomach for that kind of conversation. We're afraid of him using his nuclear weapons. We forget that we, and by we I mean you know, NATO, have just as many nuclear weapons as he does. We forget that actually he's almost certainly bluffing. But what he's using, he's using his nuclear weapons now as a protective shield to commit horrendous war crimes and bordering on genocide in Ukraine. He's grabbed 15% of that country. And I would simply say to Americans who are wavering about where the moral line is here, you know, when Saddam Hussein tried to grab Kuwait, America and Britain were straight in there to kick him out because we understood you cannot do that to a sovereign country. What's the difference? What's the moral difference? There's none to me. Right. You know, when people, when dictators attack... They grab the whole country. He grabbed the whole country. <laughs> yeah, when, when, when people like Putin think they can just help themselves to sovereign democratic countries' land. When I was in Ukraine, and you're right to, to mention this, because when I was there, to a man and woman of all ages, when I said to them, should there be any kind of deal? No, no, no. We don't want Zelensky to give one inch of our land to that, to that monster. And the more people that Putin kills, the harder and more entrenched they get. And I say again, knowing Americans, if, if we British, who once lay claim to your great land, if we decided we, we fancied some Twice. of it back, right? Yeah. We want to come back and we, we want to take 15% of America back because we British used to rule it, right? Okay, well, what would happen? Would you just, say, would you just say, look, uh, okay, let's do a deal. Let's do a deal. Let's give, let's give you Texas. Let's give you Florida. Would you hell? I'll give you a better example, which is more practical. And I believe it was uh, that Hitler that offered it to Mexico. Get involved, attack America, and we'll give you Texas and Arizona back right. and California. So if Mexico was powerful and decided that uh, historically they, de- they deserve to have, since 1845, Texas was part of Mexico, new, this new country, want it back. And then we should negotiate so they only take 50% back? And some other country should decide what I give back and when I should stop fighting? You would say no across the board. And you have, you have in Putin someone who's creating fake referenda to basically pretend that people in Ukraine have voted to hand their land back to power under the Russians, which we all know is completely bogus. 93% of Ukrainians polled don't want to give an inch to Putin or do any kind of deal. And, and I, you know, I just think in the end... If we let Putin win, if we let him take control of Ukraine or as much of it as he wishes to have, does anyone think he's going to stop there? Once he knows he can know rattle, once he can threaten nuclear war and get what he wants, he'll keep threatening nuclear war and he'll keep taking all the land back, which he thinks Russia was wrong to lose when it was the Soviet Union. He wants to restore the Soviet Union. So I talked to Gary Kasparov on, uh, on right. Saturday night. And he, uh, I, I, his connections in 
Ukraine as well as Russia are pretty strong, and obviously his passion's there. He's worried that the that conservatives, because I haven't really seen much wavering on the left, although Bernie Sanders has no idea why we're there, but he doesn't want to do anything. Um, he's worried that conservatives are starting to waver because it's because number one, they don't want to get involved in another foreign war. To me, we have no choice at all. And number number two is the question is we have so many doubts about what Vladimir Putin's stability is emotionally and politically. And he believes Russians don't lose a war without losing their government. Mm. So the minute it becomes clear that they can't win this war and nuclear weapons are not even practical because it's going to blow back on them. Even tactical weapons yeah. aren't even going to change the complex complexion of the battle. He thinks the whole government's going to fall, at which point Russia's going to break up. That's, that's, the, that's how he sees this thing playing out by the spring. And by the way, that would be in the interests of the world that that happens to Russia. Putin is a very bad man. I'm not even sure that he's mad. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. He's done it before. We've seen him do it all around the world. He is somebody that believes he has an entitlement to other people's land. Right. And I'm afraid that is what a dictator believes. And when Adolf Hitler did this in 1939, if the response of the world had been, actually, we're not going to get involved because he may kill us, well, then he would have taken over the world. Instead, Britain and America together rose up and said... We're not having this. Right. We're going to fight for our freedom and democracy. That's what the Ukrainians are doing. But we, we waited so long we had to fight our way back into Europe. You guys had to escape at Dunkirk for your own, uh, for your own salvation. And then civilian ships famously uh, saved them, brought them back. And you guys kept fighting by yourselves. It took forever. And when you see you chronicle doing a, a documentary worth its salt is put together, it must have been maddening to be the Brits to say, do you understand what's going on? It's only and maddening if- when, when Americans say, yeah, we won the war, actually. And you're like, you know what? <laughs> Why don't we just agree that we helped each other? Because yeah. we did our bit. You know, Winston Churchill oh, yeah. actually did his bit. And I think it's very important that we I, – I do think the special relationship, as it's, as it's known, I do think it was founded on right. the fact that we both rose together to defeat Hitler. Pierce Morgan here. I'm sure you know that. So, so Pierce, a couple of things. Uh, I believe that free trade agreement's got to be done between our countries. The Brexit that happened seems to have bent the Democrats out of shape, the ones that can figure it out and remember it, because Barack Obama said, don't do it, you go to the back of the queue. Set up that free trade agreement. Why wouldn't that work for President Biden? 78 years old, has to know. That would also actually help you guys out and us out. And the split off from, Bre- uh, the, split off from the EU has worked for Britain. Why not help you get the rest well, of the Well, because way? I would say, and I voted against Brexit, I would say there's absolutely no evidence at all that Brexit has worked at all. In fact, the opposite. Now, it's been clouded by the pandemic. It's been clouded by the war in Ukraine, clouded by a lot of upheaval politically at home. But there is, at the moment, no discernible do you benefit. Like being, do you like making your own decisions? I do, but I also believe there is uh, power in numbers. That you are stronger together. We are the United Kingdom, for example. You now have Scotland wanting to break away. You have Ireland potentially wanting to go back to a United Ireland and break away. Um, you know, I, you could see the breakup of the United Kingdom. I don't agree with that either. I think the United Kingdom is stronger together as the UK. Uh, I think that Europe actually is stronger together. I didn't agree with us breaking away from the European Union. You always had your own banking system, right? Yeah, but yes, we had a lot of independence. This idea that we had no independence, I mean, we had a lot of independence. But the bottom line is the Brexit supporters have got to show tangible benefit. At the moment, there's a lot of negatives. I'm not seeing any benefit. Now, I was very open-minded. When the country voted to Brexit, and it was a big, big vote, you know, 16, 17 million people on both sides. But when they voted to leave, I said, OK, my side lost. My argument was, was defeated. 
Now let's make it work. I want this to work. Because then the country benefits. I believe that about democracy generally. Mm -hmm. Whoever wins, you want them to succeed, right? Right. Um, But if they don't succeed, rather like you're seeing with President Biden right now, you might say, look, if this is in the American national interest, this president succeeds. He's clearly not succeeding. So at what point do you look for an alternative? I feel the same way about Brexit. So I'm not saying it can't work. I'm not saying it's definitely going to fail. What I am saying is that a few years after we did it, I see no evidence of anything actually working. So I would love to see the U.S. help you through that, through this special trade relationship. But it won't happen because Biden, I think, believes that there is a power from the European Union and he's under a lot of pressure from the French and Germans and others not to make Brexit a success. Because, you know, if Brexit is helped by the Americans to succeed, then, of course, the French and German peoples will say, well, hang on, why is Britain getting all these favors from the Americans? We want to have the same thing. Again, I'm into the special relationship to make that work, and then you guys let them figure it out. I would love love to have it, but I see the danger of us being allowed to have it. I just don't know why Trump hesitated. That's something he could have gotten done right before we left. Uh, Pierce Morgan's here for unless he storms out. We could have a terrible conversation in the break, and he could storm out. But one more segment, and then you can start the rest of your broadcast. All right, don't move. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So Pierce Morgan's here. He's hosted the same Pierce Morgan. Goes Pierce Morgan uncensored. It's on Fox Nation, uh, and he's going to be filming in New York this week. Pierce, who do you have on tonight? We have the two. Most infamous pugilists in America, Mike Tyson, right? And Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. <laughs> now, uh, what's your? And they're not on together, are they? No, they're going to be following each other back to back. Now, what is your main question to Mike Tyson? Um, I, I'm actually interested in Tyson. Where he is now is a very interesting place. Where he's an iconic figure in America, um, but he's been through so much ups and downs, yeah. highs and lows. Where is he now, Mike Tyson, with himself? He's got a cannabis farm that he's now making tons he's of money well. out. You know, he's getting into fights on planes with people who are abusive Was to not him. his fault. With the world's most stupid passengers. <laughs> right? I know what I'll do. I'll goad Mike Tyson. Um, I just find him a really fascinating character. I've known him a long time, interviewed him many times. And I, I prefer with Mike to just riff with him than have too big a script. Everyone knows his story. I'm more interested in where he is, what he's got to say, what he cares about right now. You know, Tucker. Tucker, to me, is in England, he's a fascinating sort of figure because he's been sort of polarized as far right by his enemies on the left. Um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about Tucker. I always say that when I watch Tucker's show, I find myself agreeing with about 70% of it every night, um, which is a pretty good ratio for someone like me who's not really a, a right winger. So I, I don't really understand the over-demonization of him. I think he's a compelling contrarian. I think he's a great debater. He loves stirring things up. I do too. I think we're quite similar in that respect. He's worked like I have at CNN and other places, um, and now we're both at Fox together. I, th- I think it'll be a normal right. interview with Tucker where, again, you know, I don't like to have too big a script or plan it too much. It's more like, hey, you're Tucker Carlson. What do you think of the world right now? So is that the way you approach the morning show when yes. you are with four-minute segments and six-minute segments? I used to ignore all those. You would? Yeah. I didn't even look at how long I have for segments. If I, I would take my earpiece out. So how did, would you prepare for a show? I didn't. What about reading the news? Yeah, I was you always would. reading all day, every day, everything that's, that's happening. What I so I was incredibly across all the news. Watching too? Watching, uh, watching, watching, listening, all over social media. So I was very informed, and I would form my own opinions about stuff. 
But what I really love to do was just freewheel with guests. Get us somebody compelling on, like a Tucker, like a Tyson. And listen. Uh, and listen to them and go with the flow a bit. You know, what are they exercised about rather than you telling them what they should be? So when you went into CNN, different landscape, I get it. You replaced Larry King. Yeah. Um, he wasn't too nice about it, right? He wasn't. He said after a month of me being there, uh, he pretended to be happy about a young Brit guy taking his, his prestigious real estate. And then he was asked on a red carpet about a month into my tenure, what do you think of Piers' show? And he went, you know what? He said, uh, it's like watching my mother-in-law drive my favorite Bentley over a cliff. Wow. And how did um, you handle Well, that? I was asked by a response a few days later. I went, well, to be fair to Larry, he knows all about mother-in-laws. He's had eight of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> did anything ever, when you go over there, we know how crazy it is now as more people got in and out and the little success that anyone's really had there. Did that ever shake your confidence? Not really. I mean, I, I, I did. Look, I, I was there nearly four years uh, having a show that aired three times a day around the world. It was an amazing privilege to sit down with someone. You make news every day. Yeah. I was interviewing presidents and the biggest stars and whatever. I kind of felt it had run out of steam because I went there to do big interviews and I'd interviewed everybody. Um, I also felt, and I, we were talking about this in the break, I, I felt like I really missed uh, the culture of my own country just to exist yeah. it. When you live full-time in another country, as I did for four years in New York and L.A., uh, I really missed going into my local cafe and just talking about English football Soccer is you, you don't need to hang out with celebrities. You, you like everyday people. I like everyday people, and I like just having a conversation about stuff I care about. Cricket, for example. You ever try to have a conversation about cricket in a, in a New York cafe? Can't do it, it doesn't last, right? So you guys, I would say if I took you, Brian, and put you in London for four years, yeah. you'd be tearing your hair out because you'd want to talk about the New York Knicks or whatever it may be. Except right? I do like soccer. Right. I'm not a big international guy, but I, I, I would definitely dive into the game. It's a cultural thing. Absolutely. And I think you've got to understand that when you live somewhere else for a long time, either you, you either go one way, you never go back, or right. it tugs at your heartstrings. But I'm glad you're at Fox, and I'm glad you're at Period in Fox when we have free snacks. Absolutely. It never happened before. It is fantastic. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.